Let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 13, once again. You know, it's been definitely the joy of my assignment here at Calvary, and it has certainly really been the joy of my calling to be able to dig into the gospel of Matthew the way we have. This is the longest book I've ever preached through like this. Now, we've, we've covered Isaiah on Sunday night here before, but... You know, if we had done it this way, we would be in Isaiah for about 20 years. And so, uh, so anyway, uh, I don't know. This was the uh, early church's most favorite gospel. The church fathers quote Matthew more than any other gospel. Uh, most of them, in fact, all of them believe that Matthew was the first gospel that was written. And, and even though that goes against scholarly opinion today, to be honest with you, I see no real reason to doubt that. So I, I think it was probably the first one written. Not that that matters, but, um, but anyway, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful gospel, and I hope that you have enjoyed studying it as much as I have. I've been thrilled by just looking through the life of Christ and how Matthew has put it all together to create such a wonderful manual of Christian life and discipleship uh, for us to learn from. And so Matthew chapter 13, if you want to follow along in the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can find that in uh, page 973, Matthew 13, beginning in verse uh, 24. <coughs> we have a rather long passage this morning, and uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the uh, beginning parable, and, uh, and we'll call that good as we begin our, our exposition. But beginning in verse 24... It says, and then Jesus put another parable before them saying, <coughs> the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants or the slaves of the master came to the house and and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it then have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather my wheat into the barn. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever been waiting for something to happen? Maybe you were given a promise as a kid of a, of a vacation. One day we're gonna go there or, or something like that. Or, or you, maybe your boss promised you a raise or a promotion and you're just, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and then you're waiting, and then you're waiting some more and you're wondering, is it ever really going to happen? And after you've waited a while, it can be a little difficult, can it, to, uh, to kind of keep your hope up 
for that thing. In fact, sometimes after a while, you just kind of give up hope and you say, well, that's, that's never really gonna happen. Well, the, well, the disciples, <clears throat> you have to kind of understand their mindset that for, that for centuries, they have been waiting for the kingdom. Israel has been waiting for the kingdom to be restored. And now Christ has come. He is promising, he's claiming that he is the Messiah. He's doing works that confirm that claim. And the disciples, they, they, they are watching him and they're waiting and they're waiting, they're waiting for that moment that he is going to gather all of Israel and they are gonna march into Jerusalem and they are gonna take back the city and they are gonna restore that kingdom again. And yet that's just not the way that Christ is conducting his ministry. I think that's probably behind the question that they give in, in verse 10. You remember last week when they walked up to him, they had this huge crowd so big that Christ had to get on a boat and kind of go off into the lake a little ways just to kind of get some separation between them. And, and all he does is tell a farming story and, and then tells them to go home. And so in, in verse 10, they say, why do you speak to them in parables? I, I can't help but to think that there is some disappointment behind that question. Some, it's kind of a, kind of a, verdict, if you will. Lord, why? We want an explanation. <clears throat> right before his ascension in Acts chapter one, verse six, you remember what they asked him? Are you now gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, this is just something that is on the forefront of their mind over and over and over again, just this waiting and waiting and waiting. <clears throat> and in first Peter, second Peter, excuse me, Chapter three, verse four, you remember Peter says that in the last days, scoffers and mockers will come and they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? People have been saying this for decades, for years. In fact, for 2,000 years now, we have been waiting for the return of Christ. And yet it hasn't happened yet. And people mock us and people, people um, they, they, they scorn us. And they, I remember sitting in a, in a religions class at UALR and, and when, the, when the prof said, and Christians believe that Christ is physically coming back, one of the other guys in the room said, do they really believe that? Yes, we do. But that time has been long and that time, and we are waiting anxiously for it 2,000 years now. And as we look around in the world, there's a lot to be discouraged about, isn't there? As we look around in the world and we see wildfires, we see storms, we see hurricanes. Many of us had to go without electricity this week, which kind of a first world problem, but it's still a problem, you know, right? Not comfortable. I had to go without internet. That was really bad. Suffering there, you know. But, as, but that's nothing compared to the plight of some of our brothers and sisters around the world. And we, see, and we see different things that are happening around the world to them. And we see the hardships that they're going through and the real suffering that they're going through. And all of that is so easy to look at and be discouraged. You know, and even then, just in serving the church, sometimes you're just tired, aren't you? Sometimes you're just exhausted. And it's so easy to get discouraged thinking you're just spinning your wheels and thinking that there's no good coming from it. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. My hope is that you will be encouraged by to pursue on, to keep going toward kingdom growth, to continue on. 
You may remember last week, we compared this to kind of the Marvel somatic universe that you've got. You've got these two main anchors. You've got the parable of the sower, and now today we've got the parable of the weeds, and those are the two kind of major parables. They're the, they're the major films, if you will, and they also come with their own interpretations. But then you have the little parables in between that are kind of like the TV series, and, and they give you lots of information that you need. Uh, to kind of understand the big parables better. And then you have, for the nerds, you have the documentaries that kind of tell you the behind-the-scenes stories that kind of tells you how, the, how the, the movies are made. Some of my comic book nerds are back this week, and so they're like, yes, you know? And so, uh, but, uh, but that's kind of what I think of when I think of Matthew 13. I think that this is kind of the, the kingdom somatic universe, if you will. And it is telling the story of what this kingdom is. It's giving us the kingdom theology that we need to know. And what we've seen is that in the first section, in the first major film, the the parable of the sower, we saw how the kingdom is going to grow. It doesn't grow by sword. It doesn't grow by the weapons of the world. It doesn't grow by politics. It doesn't grow by those things, but it grows by the word of God. And it is the word of God when it is implanted. It is is that that expands and grows the kingdom. And we saw last week, or uh, yeah, last week we saw that we need to make sure that we have a daily diet of that word. We need to make sure that we are growing not only the kingdom outside, but the kingdom within us as well. But now the question is, how is that gonna happen? What is that gonna look like? And that's what this parable and the smaller parables that follow it is explaining to us. What is it gonna look like as the kingdom grows? And as the disciples are looking out, they're seeing this this crowd thinning more and more because Christ has dismissed them. And and they're seeing this go away and they're thinking, well, how is a, a kingdom cannot grow when it's shrinking, Right? And so what's going on here? And maybe they're being discouraged, thinking this was supposed to be it, and yet it's not. And so Christ encourages his disciples that the promise of the kingdom will be fulfilled, just not in the way that they think, and oftentimes not in the way that we think today. That's why it's so important that we get the theology of these parables down and we understand them. And so how's it gonna come instead? And Christ is gonna kind of group three parables together to help explain that to us. So we're gonna come back to the text we read. Uh, I think that's expedient because Christ gives us his own interpretation. So versus me trying to interpret it for you, I think we're just going to come to Christ's interpretation at the end. But what we wanna look at this morning is kind of these other two parables along with that one and to explain how and encourage you that the kingdom is, in fact, growing today. It's not the way that we always think. And so he encourages us through the kingdom's progress, through the kingdom's intention, and through the kingdom's triumph. So we're gonna see that in these parables. Let's begin in verse 31 and 32. He encourages us through the kingdom's progress. Look what he says in verse 31. He says, and then Jesus put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. So this is the first kind of eight-part TV series that we're looking at. 
This is the, this is the first one, you know, on Matthew Plus streaming channel that you're, that you're seeing this take place. And it says, basically, it's, it's, it's very easy to understand that Christ says there's a man who goes out and he, and he sows a little mustard seed. And it's very small at first. In fact, Christ says that it's the smallest seed on the earth. And yet when it has fully grown, it becomes the largest of the garden plants that is, that is out there. Pretty self-explanatory. But if you know anything about a mustard seed, you know that it is really small. Now, now there are some critics out there who say that Jesus is wrong here and that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the planet. Listen, beloved, Jesus' point is not to give you a botany lesson, okay? Jesus' point is very simple, and that is this, that you take something that is very small and you plant it in the ground and it becomes, over time, with steady but sure progress, it becomes the largest thing in the garden, so much so that even the birds come and make their nest in it. In fact, the birds of the air, that is a, that's a common Old Testament reference that you can see that, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 36, I believe it is, where he's talking about Assyria, and he says that Assyria has become this large cedar, and that all the birds of the world come and make their nest in the tree. That is, that is essentially saying that Assyria was a world empire that all the other nations of the world come and, and rest in its shade, that rest under its control. And uh, I said Ezekiel 36, 31, I'm sorry, 31, verse six. And so th- what the idea here is that even though this mustard seed begins really small, the smallest of all seeds, it grows into the tallest of all trees. And in the same way, the kingdom of God, even though it began so small, it will culminate in taking over the world. It will expand to take over the entire universe. You know, this is how God has worked all through the scriptures. Genesis 12, how many people did he call? One person. In Genesis 12, he said that I will make you a father of many nations. He says that all the world will be blessed through you by your offspring, which we understand is a promise of Christ and his coming, that all the world, all the nations will be blessed in Christ. All the nations of the world will come and rest in his shade. And even in the the life of Abraham, the life of the nation, we see that coming. And uh, even as early as Exodus chapter one, verse seven, it says that they, they grew and they multiplied and they filled the land of Egypt, so, so much so that the Pharaoh attacked them. And yet it was through Abraham's offspring, Christ, that, that he came. And, and, and think about this for a moment. Think about Christ. He, he came to this small little piece of real estate in the Middle East. He never walked more than 50 miles away from his home where he grew up. He called 12 disciples, only 12, to follow him. And yet from that little seed, we see in the book of Acts, chapter one, we see that it grew into 120 disciples. And then in Acts chapter two, verse 41, we see that it grew into 3,000 disciples. 
And then in Acts chapter four, verse four, it grew into 4,000, 5,000 disciples. And then in Acts chapter five, verse 14, we stop counting and it simply says multitudes. And then in Acts chapter six, verse seven, and then that number multiplied greatly. It's just like the energy of a microscopic atom being split, the energy of the church went all out into the world and literally spread the earth with its message. Now, should we expect that kind of growth today? I don't know. That's in the sovereignty of God. Most scholars estimate, even though the Jerusalem church was so large, most scholars estimate that the European churches and the and the, ter- and the minor churches, what's that called? What am I thinking of there? Asia minor churches, most of them averaged around 30 to 50 people probably is what scholars estimate. That's all in the sovereignty of God. But let me ask you this. Is there an example for us to follow here? That's the question. And the answer is I think there is. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. What, is, what does Paul tell Timothy to do? What you've seen in me, from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So is there, should we expect this kind of growth? I don't know. But should we follow this principle of multiplication through discipleship? Yes. That's the idea. You know, in American evangelism, we're we're so interested in, in American church work. We're so interested in addition But beloved, addition is never gonna reach the world. But multiplication, that has the power to reach the entire world in one generation. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They went from 12 to literally all over the world in the lifespan of one generation. And so is there something to follow here? Yes, beloved, the point is in the end of time, in Revelation chapter nine, we see from this little small mustard seed, we see this wonderful picture of the church in Revelation seven. It says, and after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes and peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The mustard seed has become the tree. Beloved, if you're saved here this morning, that's where you fall in. That's where you are in Revelation. That's your place. You're part of that multitude from every tribe. The point is this, slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. Discipleship, keep going. The problem with slow and steady is that oftentimes it seems like you're not accomplishing much but you are, you are, keep going. Don't grow weary, be encouraged because every little piece contributes to the bigger picture. Let me ask you a question, how many nails do you think are in this building? Have you ever walked into someone's house and just kinda wanna Weird them out a little bit. Wow, you have such beautiful nails here. Look at all the nails that must be holding up this place. This is wonderful. 
You ever done that to anyone before? Try it, it's a lot of fun. But, <laughs> but beloved, the nails are holding up the building. Every single one of those nails the master carpenter knows contributes to the bigger picture of the beautiful house that is being created. And beloved, each and every one of us is a nail. And sometimes as a nail, all you're doing is just holding two boards together. That's all you're doing. But you're building something bigger than every single one of us. And stay encouraged because your part is important. Your part is vital. And so keep going. Don't be discouraged. He encourages us through the kingdom's progress and through the kingdom's intention. He gives another parable in verse 33. Again, very simple. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. I think I told you the story before of the guy from Papa John's. I worked beside him and uh, they're supposed to cook their dough every night in the oven. Well, he took a shortcut and decided not to and just threw it away in the back dumpster. You know what happened the next morning that the dough rose and it literally filled the entire dumpster and was like coming out the sides. It was like, it was crazy. It was crazy. He was like, I am in so much trouble. And, uh, and he was, the city was not happy about that. But that's what leaven does. And, and the basic story is this. Everyone who's ever baked bread knows that when you leave yeast alone and flour, it's going to grow steadily and steadily and steadily until it fills the entire lump. Now, I know back in the day, some guys, even, even guys as venerable as D. Campbell Morgan, who, uh, who preceded Martin Lloyd-Jones at uh, Westminster Abbey, they said that because of the yeast, this must be evil, you know, that, that this is the evil side of the kingdom. Well, I don't, I don't really think so. I, I think that the yeast is kind of neutral here and it's just contributing to the bigger picture. It's just the comparison. But I think what's, what's interesting here is that notice that he says specifically what's different here about this parable is not that the leaven is growing. That's essentially the same thing that the other parable just said. But what's interesting is that she took and she hid it. She put it in flour, and then she hid it away. And three strata is, is or three sata is the, is the word. We're not exactly sure what it means. If you're using the Holman Christian Standard, it says 50 pounds. It says, uh, NASB says three pecks. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Uh, ESV says three measures. The NIV really wimps out here and says uh, a large amount. <laughs> But, but the point is, is that it was a lot. And yet she takes and she hides this, she puts a little bit of leaven in it, which typically came from last week's bread. And she would take that little leaven, puts it in this large amount of flour and hides it away until the entire lump, whether it's 50 pounds or whether it's whatever it is, this entire lump is filled, is saturated with the leaven. But again, what's unique about this is that she hid it. What about that? Well, as Jesus goes on, we come to our, first, our second documentary, and that's in verses 34 and 35. 
Matthew tells us these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. I want you to notice when Matthew kind of stops the story to give us kind of an interruption like this, it's something very important that he wants us to notice. And so as you look at this, he says that it would be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet, but by the prophet here, we don't mean one of the prophets like what we normally think of, but this is actually quoting Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse two. And most people will say, well, Matthew just kind of throws it in because, uh, because the 78, verse two says, I will open my mouth in parables. And Matthew says, oh, here's a bunch of parables. And so he just kind of throws that verse in. No, no, Matthew is much more intentional than that. Much more intentional. And as you read through Psalm 78, it is a Psalm of Asaph. He was the most famous worship leader in Israel, just so you know, worship leaders need to be grounded in theology. <laughs> and say Asaph was grounded in theology. And, uh, and he was the most famous worship leader in Israel. And as he goes through this psalm, it's a very long psalm. It's like 60-something verses. And as he goes through, he picks out these most significant times in Israel's history and yet every time he points out again and again and again that Israel rebelled, Israel rebelled, Israel rebelled. They sinned against God and then they rebelled again and then they rebelled again. He shows that every time Israel rebelled against him and what is the parable of this? What is the secret of this? What is, what is it that's been hidden since the foundation of the world? It's this that in spite of their continued rebellion, in spite of everything that seems to go wrong, God is still in the background working out his divine purposes. That no matter how discouraging it gets, no matter how much people rebel, beloved, human beings and all of their might, try as they will, they cannot thwart the will of God. God has not bowed his sovereignty to our fickle wills. And no matter what humans may try, God's plans are sure. He has said it. He will do it. Man makes his plans, but God guides his steps. Man casts his lots, but God guides the decision. And we see this over and over and over again. The rebellion did not have the power, in spite of their continued rebellion, they did not have the power to stop God's plan, which culminated in the choosing of the Davidic king that is ultimately fully fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That's Psalm 78. And Matthew is very intentional in choosing that psalm to point out why Jesus is quoting parables to them. Remember, the whole point leading up to this was opposition. Several opposition stories to Christ. And yet, in spite of all that opposition, God is working out his divine plan. 
And no matter how discouraging it gets, no matter how tired we get, no matter how discouraged we are, no matter how much it seems like nothing is going our way, no matter how much it seems like we are spinning our wheels, God's intentions are sure. And we can rest on that and not on our ability to keep going. We saw this in Luke's sermon. Was it last week? I'm getting my weeks confused. I think it was a week before last. In Luke's sermon when he preached on Samson, do you, did you notice that little thing that happened when uh, Samson wanted to marry the girl in Philistia? Mom and dad didn't like it. But do you remember what the text says? For mom and dad did not know that it was from Yahweh. Mom and dad did not know that the Lord had ordained this. Even Samson's rebellion was working out the divine intentions of God and working out their deliverance. God was using Samson's rebellion to bring about his own purpose. Beloved, the, the ultimate illustration of this is the cross of Jesus. Why did they crucify Christ? I promise you, Pilate was not thinking about saving mankind. Pilate was not, the Pharisees were not thinking about Christ spilling his blood for us. They certainly weren't thinking about 21st century America. Their intention was evil. And yet God meant it. In fact, Acts 2, 23, when he tells, when, he tell, when Peter is telling the people, and Jesus delivered up according to what? the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And by the way, Peter didn't let him off the hook. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This doesn't let anybody off the hook. But it shows that God is in control. And it shows that even though we are responsible for our actions, God uses it all to bring about his divine purposes in this world. The leaders were trying to get rid of him. They were trying to silence Christ, but they were used by God instead to, to fulfill his divine purpose and plan. And beloved, this, this galvanizes our desire for the kingdom, to fulfill the kingdom. Nothing that happens, no matter how bad, and there's a lot of bad but nothing that happens, no matter how bad it is, so much to be discouraged about, but none of it is outside of God's great oversight. None of it is outside of his control. None of it is outside of his plan. None of it is outside of his care. You know, and that's something you wanna be careful about. Don't ever separate God's sovereignty from his love. Don't think of sovereignty as just this kind of thing in and of itself. No, nothing is outside of his control, but beloved, also nothing is outside of his love for you. And out of his sovereignty, he acts in love toward us. That's the kind of God I want. I don't, I don't want a God who loves us but can't do anything about it. I don't want a God who can do everything about it, but he doesn't care about us. I want a God who is both sovereign and loving, and that's what we got in Christ.
This galvanizes our desire for the kingdom. It doesn't, it doesn't diminish our, our desire for evangelism. It, 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 it makes it stronger because we get to be a part of it. God ordains both the means and the end. And he ordained that we be a part of it. That's exciting, isn't it? That's wonderful. That's what we want to do. It, it encourages us to know that somewhere in this city, God has another soul. And then somewhere in this city, God has another one. And then somewhere, God has another one. And then God somewhere has another one. So let's keep going because even though you've witnessed to a hundred people and they've all rejected, maybe the next one won't. So keep going, keep going. So what's this gonna look like all together? This brings us back to verse 24. And the kingdom's triumph. I said the kingdom's intention, sorry about that. The kingdom's, I messed up this one too. The kingdom's triumph. And again, going back to verse 24, this is just another simple farming story. A man goes out, he sows a seed. It's a sabotage story. Agricultural sabotage, if you will. Industrial espionage. Where an enemy comes in overnight and he sows a bunch of weeds in with the wheat. And so that, of course, you don't know it at the time, but as the plants start to grow, he notices that the weeds are growing along with it. And, and what what's stands out about this parable is, is how much dialogue there is. And again, if, if Matthew is giving so much attention to dialogue, you wanna pay attention to that. And that the master of the house says, no, an enemy has done this, and so shall we go and, and pluck them up now? No, because in doing so, you might pluck up some of the wheat with it. Wait till the end, wait till the harvest. And at that point, he will send out his reapers and he will gather up all the weeds, bundle them together and burn them in a furnace. Then he will gather up the wheat and gather them in his barns. So just like the last time when the crowds left, he went into the house and disciples come to him, verse 36, explain the parables of the weeds to us in the field. Jesus says, the one who sows the seed is the son of God. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. He goes on, he says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine out like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, he must hear. This is the divine interpretation of this parable Son of man, Christ himself is the one who plants the good seed. It is Christ who is building his church. Remember we said last week that anybody can build a crowd, only Christ can build a church. 
And so it is Christ who sows the good seed, the sons of the kingdom. The one who sabotages is the devil. He plants his people as well. And for a long time, they are growing side by side. This is why things like boycotts don't always work. This is why the wisdom of the world doesn't always conquer. This is why, really in all honesty, this idea of strict separation from the world is impossible. That's what the fundamentalists and groups like the Amish and stuff like that, that's what they get wrong. It's it's the idea that we can separate ourselves from the worldly. No, we can't. We live side by side with them. We do business with them. We go to school with them. We work with them. Sometimes we're even in the same families as them. Sometimes we're married to them. Sometimes we, we, we live in the same world. And that's, that's why common grace is so important. That's why we must be lovers of people. Because for a long time, it will grow side by side. But one day, the Lord will send his reapers, the angels, and they will make a separation And those who belong to the evil one will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Jesus describes this as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will be absolute and utter misery. Punishment for sin. And he says, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And Jesus ends with this command once again. Those who have ears, you must hear. That's a command. If you have ears, listen, pay attention. If you're here this morning and you are not one of the sons of the kingdom, that command goes to you, listen, hear, heed, pay attention. Because this is something you need to know. That our God, he was, he is the creator of heaven and earth. He created everything that we see. He created the world and everything in it. And the reason why we are here, the reason why mankind, humanity is here is because God created us to to manage his creation to rule the world under him. It was supposed to be a harmonious, peaceful, wonderful existence, but something happened. And that something was us. We said, we don't wanna live under God's rule. We said, shove off God. We don't want you in charge of us. And we took the crown off of his head and we tried to place it on our head and we tried to run our lives according to our own desires, the way we want to. And the problem is we make a mess of everything. We fail to rule society. We fail to rule our own lives. We fail to manage our families. And as as if that's not enough, the Lord will not allow us to live in that rebellion forever. And that's what he's talking about here. That there is coming a day where he will come and he will put an end to the rebellion. And just like all treason, the punishment for sin 
is death. And following death is judgment. And that punishment sounds harsh, and it is. But because God loves us, he made another way. He sent his only begotten son, Christ, who is fully God, fully man, came and lived on the earth. He told this story that we told today. And his disciples wrote it down for us 2,000 years later to study and learn from. But as you read on in this gospel and the other gospels, you find out that Christ, he lived an absolute perfect life. He earned the righteousness that we deserve, that we need. We don't deserve it. We need it. He constantly lived under the Father's rule. But then he went to the cross and he died as punishment for our sins, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. And because he died on the cross, we can have forgiveness of sins when we place our trust in him. And that's not all. God raised him from the dead three days later to prove that he was who he said he was, that he accomplished what he said he accomplished. And now he ascended to heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he's offering himself to every person on the planet. He's offering himself as a rescue from the wrath of sin, rescue from the punishment. He's offering himself as a savior to you. And the way we respond is by trusting in him alone for full forgiveness of sin and then submitting to him as our new king, taking the crown off of our head and putting it back where, quite frankly, it never left in the first place, recognizing that Christ is our new king. We call that repentance. And it's repentance and faith in Christ alone is what makes all the difference. And when this time comes, when, when the harvest comes, that is what will make the difference. It will not be what we've done it will not be what, we've, what we haven't done. It's not about don't smoke, don't chew, don't date the girls who do. It's not about keeping yourself away from the world, unstained from the world, not going to this, not doing it. It's not about any of that. It's about do you know Christ as your savior? That's what it's about. God is calling all people everywhere to repent. Don't try to figure out the mystery of it. God is calling everybody to repent. And that includes everyone in this room. And beloved church, we cannot grow weary of proclaiming that message. We cannot grow weary of doing everything we can to support the proclamation of that message. We cannot grow weary in doing good for those who need to hear. I know we're tired. We're a small church and we do a lot. I know we're tired. But beloved, let this encourage you this morning. Let this encourage you.
Be encouraged to continue in the kingdom. It always seems like there's more to do, more to do, and the results always seem so few. But remember, you are a nail in the kingdom. And even though it seems like you're doing oh so little, or in some cases it seems like you're doing oh so much, it's a part of the bigger picture. It's a part of the bigger, the bigger idea of the kingdom. Let the kingdom's progress, let the kingdom's intention, and let the kingdom's triumph keep you going. Keep those things, those truths on your mind. Don't let the weariness discourage you. Keep going. Keep going. So easy to get overwhelmed, discouraged, feel beaten. And so let me just give you a few things this morning to remember. Number one. I love Isaiah 49, four. I've gone to this passage a lot. Isaiah says, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. Everything I've said is in vain. I've, 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 I've used up my strength in vain. But then he remembers that my reward is with God. Our reward is with God, beloved. The reward is not the fruit that we necessarily see but the fruit, but the reward will come with our God. And so keep that eternal perspective. Number two, Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, he tells Jeremiah, before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were born, I appointed you a prophet. Yes, that's true of Jeremiah, but it's also true of you, beloved. There's not a single one of you here that is not where God intended you to be right now. And yeah, you may be tired, and I'm tired too, but this is where God has us. He does not have us in 1950s America. He does not have us in 2030 America. We're not trying to, we're not trying to keep up the old fads. We're not trying to figure out the new fads and be on top of everything. God has us right here, right now to do his will and to be as excellent as we can at it. And so remember, this is where God has placed you. Number three, Hebrews chapter six, verse 10 says, God is not unjust to forget your deeds. God sees what you're doing. You know, Mark Twain said that a single compliment can keep me going for a year. I don't know about that, but I do know this. Even if the whole world doesn't see what you're doing, God does. He sees you. He sees how hard you're working. He sees how tired you are. He sees how discouraged you are. And so rest in him. Call out to him. Number four, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 40, talks about those who gave their lives, those who went to prison, those who were flogged, those who lost all their property. Those, remember those who came before us. Remember how they suffered. Remember how they gave all. Even now, we can look out in the world and we see those who are losing their lives for Christ. He hasn't called us to that point yet. And then finally, number five, and I think this is so important. Focus on people, not jobs. Focus on people. Focus on fellowship with your fellow committee members. Focus on fellowship and creating. Focus on people. 
not on doing the jobs. That's easy to forget sometimes. Focus on people, not on the jobs. Beloved, I pray this morning that you are encouraged. You are doing well, Calvary Baptist Church. As we were looking for someone to kind of start leading the youth again, I looked out and I thought, man, who is not in here who's not doing four or five different things? You're doing well, but stay encouraged. I know you're tired. We're starting a new school year. But stay encouraged. Be encouraged. You're doing good. Keep it up. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are the reason we're doing everything we're doing. You are our mission. And we want you to know how you can know Christ as your Savior. Everything we're doing, we're doing it for you. And we want you to come into the kingdom. Our Father, we thank you for these truths. I pray that they've been encouraging this morning. Lord, I pray as we look into the future and we see your coming, that we are not growing weary. We are not growing um, tired and getting that, the, letting that, discourage us. Father, I pray if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, perhaps this will be the morning that they come, that, that the church will see that the fruit of our labor. Father, whatever your divine and purpose is for this morning, for this week, for this coming school year, Lord, I pray that we would keep that in mind. And we would always be committed to that. Let, the, let the, the promise of the kingdom galvanize us, encourage us, strengthen us once again so that we will once again see your blessings this year. But more than that, Lord, that you would be glorified and have whatever means that takes. Lord, give us willingness, give us energy, Give us the oh-so-needed strength to keep going. I want to invite you to stand and as we sing together. What an appropriate song as we end, I need thee every hour. We're just going to play through it this morning. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and just reflect on what's been said. And as we go ahead and start playing. If there's one here this morning, you have a need, you want to know how you can know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've received the word, but you want to confess him in baptism. Maybe you're here and you, need, you want to join a church, a fellowship. Maybe you're just here and you need some guidance, need some prayer. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come.